going to turn this evening to Psalm 137. We've been looking at Psalms over the course of the summer Sunday evenings. Uh, we'll draw that to a conclusion next week with Psalm 2. And then, just a little preview of coming attractions, which you probably already saw in the contact. Um, this fall, we're going to start for the course of the next uh, calendar year in the evenings, uh, what I'm calling evenings in the Old Testament. And we're just going to kind of work our way through the Old Testament, uh, sort of survey, survey fashion, and seek to learn what we can learn because the Old Testament is the basis uh, for the doctrines, all the doctrines of the New Testament. Uh, it's a basis for understanding Jesus. As Jesus said, the law and the prophets and the Psalms, they all point to me. And so it's important that we, we learn from Jesus' Bible uh, because it's part of our Bible as well. And so I hope that you would join us for that as we, we learn that and we'll uh, I'll give you some other, other things that you can use to, to maybe do some of your own reading uh, in the Old Testament as well. But we're going to continue on for two more weeks with the Psalms. Um, and Psalm 137 is one of those psalms that I wrote about earlier on when we weren't meeting together uh, in fellowship uh, as a church. And now I want to just expand on that a little bit. And I think it's, I think it's a timely psalm. Psalm 137 is a, is a psalm written in the midst of the Babylonian captivity in Babylon. And we've already looked at a couple of psalms like that. They were written by the sons of Korah. And uh, we talked a little bit about them and their role, but most of those were longing for the temple. This psalm is a little different. It's, we're not, we don't have an identification of the writer of the psalm, but it's also a psalm that now is dealing less with lo the longing for the temple back in Israel and much more, how do we live in the land that we're in right now? How do we live in Babylon? How do we live in this strange culture, in this foreign culture. And I think that's instructive for us because I think we're living in an increasingly foreign culture, one that's very different maybe than years ago. And I think we, we would do well to think about this a little bit in our own lives. So Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our, our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, hey, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy... Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you've done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Not a typical way a psalm ends. But let's look at that for a few moments and, to, and ask the Holy Spirit to help us do so. Holy Spirit, as you inspired the psalmist to write these words in the midst of, of captivity, in the midst of oppression in Babylon, now we pray that you would help us to understand how they might fit in our culture and in our day. Help us to take to heart 
what this is saying to our own lives, and then help us to act on it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine being a Jew in a Nazi concentration camp in the late 30s, early 40s in Germany. Or imagine being a reformer during the time in France when they were cracking down on the Reformed Church and putting all kinds of restrictions and oppressions on it. Or imagine what it would have been like to be a black slave in 19th century America. You've been persecuted, beaten, confined, raped, humiliated, taunted, placed under forced labor. Well, in these and many other similar circumstances that have played out throughout world history, the captors would often do one more thing. They would resort to psychological tricks that might include demanding that the captives give them entertainment. Sing us one of the songs of your homeland, they would say. We heard, read about this happening in among the slaves, that sometimes the masters would kind of have them put on a show and they could mock them. And that happened often in captivity, and apparently it happens here in this psalm. Singing during captivity, singing during oppression is an interesting phenomenon. In France, psalm singing was outlawed, but the reformers kept singing to defy their oppressors and to sustain themselves. Jews in concentration camps and other hostages through the years and have relied on songs to kind of focus their attention elsewhere, off their problems and onto something bigger than them, God. And of course, American culture has been enriched by the spirituals that slaves sang to sustain themselves, dominated by thoughts of belonging to another kingdom. If you could put yourself in the place of any of these people, then you can begin to understand the circumstances of Psalm 137. The Israelites are in captivity. Now it apparently has been a while. And they're still struggling with how do we adjust to this. And so we get this description in uh, the first few verses and the last few verses of what they're going through. By the rivers of Babylon, we, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There in the poplars, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And then a little later, at the end of the psalm, it, there's a further description of what's happening. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you've done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. The, the Israelites were captive in Babylon. The men forced to work, the women abused. And verse 9 notes one of the more grotesque scenes, the needless slaughter of children. 
And perhaps it was during this time, like so many captives and so many oppressed people through the years, that the Israelites turned to song, which sustained them. However, apparently the songs also gave the captors something to taunt them about. Yeah, why don't you... Why don't you give us some of that entertainment? Sing one of those songs of Zion for us. Put on a minstrel show. And what was their response? Let's just hang up our harps. Zip our lips. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How can we do it? In a sense... We are strangers in our world today. It's ironic, really, that in the age of CN, in the CNN age of globalization, where no land is totally foreign to us anymore, we are, as one author put it, resident aliens. Resident aliens within our own land. It's not that we've been carted off to Babylon. It's that Babylon has moved in around us. Gone are the days when the church was the center of the community. It was the building on Main Street, and everybody knew it was there. Gone is the the time when the church pastor lived in the parsonage and was called the parson, which meant the person. He was the person in the community. Gone is the time when society knew how to speak our language. Society doesn't do that very well anymore, speaking Christian language. They they don't do very well anymore singing our songs. Sin and other Christian words, biblical words, are no longer in its vocabulary. As for salvation, salvation is no more than a do-it-yourself, pull-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps effort. Kind of reminds me of the days when China put up walls to Christian missionaries, causing them to flee. We can't bring prayer into public schools for the most part, much less teach Christian values or teach creation versus evolution. At Christmas, in many places, no public nativity scenes can be erected unless Santa and his reindeer are allowed to add their secular presence to that holy night. And more recently, in the coronavirus pandemic, pastors and other Christians were certainly not the persons in the community. In fact, we were not even essential workers. That was reserved for people like those who sold liquor or aborted babies. Churches were not the first, but among the last to be able to reopen doors. Are our gatherings riskier than bars or Walmart? It's understandably tempting to check our harps at the door, to to zip our lips about anything Christian in this strange culture that not only doesn't understand us, but may mock us for our song of the gospel. 
Well, in the middle of that psalm, with all of this stuff going on in Babylonian culture for the Israelites, they get to the heart of the issue, the, the, the main question, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. We are aliens, strangers in our culture because we belong to a different kingdom. We are citizens of another city. For the Israelites, Jerusalem was not just home, it was God's home. It was the place of God's presence. A presence which was apparently increasingly unfelt in that strange culture of Babylon. Now, undoubtedly, during, over the years, some of them gave in to the Babylonian culture. They played and sang and worked their way into Babylonian society. Their tunes and values had a distinctly Babylonian flavor. But the psalmist says, only he who, whose heart has disowned the Lord could play the puppet on the Babylonian stage. And so he takes an oath. May I never play the harp or sing a song again if I am untrue to God with my song. How can I sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Now there's a biblical reason for these kinds of feelings. Already back in Genesis, Abraham had confronted this with his lifestyle and the author to the Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, describes it. He says, By faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And in fact, that was true not only of Abraham, the, the author in Hebrews 11 has this whole long list of, of Old Testament saints. And then even toward the end adds a kind of a miscellaneous category to try to catch as many as possible. But he says of all of them, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. In Hebrews 11, we're reminded that the Old Testament saints, all of them, not just those captives, but all the Old Testament saints, longed for a better country, a heavenly one. And regardless of how comfortable we have become in our culture and in our country, we are still resident aliens, not entirely at home here. Perhaps a pandemic has has reminded us of this in subtle ways or maybe even blatant ways, that this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Sometimes we long for the good old days. The good old days when God was revered in our land, 
when the Christian faith was shared, when it really meant something to say in our currency, in God we trust, and when we really could pledge allegiance and say that our trust is in God, that we're a nation that seeks to be under God. Sometimes we long to the good old days when everyone could sing Amazing Grace. They knew the words and they knew what they meant. And it meant something in their lives. We long for those days perhaps, but by and large I wonder if sometimes we haven't gone the other way and have gotten too, cult- too comfortable in our culture. Maybe today we face a wake-up call. We, find, we found out, if we didn't know it already, we are no longer essential workers. We are no longer an essential presence in our culture. And that leads us back to the all-important question of verse 4. How then can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? That was a question for Israelite, Israelites. How can we? How can we? For them to play the puppet on the Babylonian stage would have been blasphemy, disloyalty. And so their response was, let's, let's hang our harps, let's zip our lips. And that's what many of them did, at least publicly. They hung their harps on the poplars. I'd like to think, at least privately, however, that maybe their song sustained them given the fact that we do have several psalms that come out of Babylon, out of exile. You know, in many ways, that may have been the appropriate response for the Israelites. And yet, at the same time, one of the real failures of Israel in the Old Testament, a failure that we're in danger of repeating as the church, is that they didn't sing the Lord's song in a strange land. You know, part of the covenant that God made with Abraham was that they were to be a blessing to the nations. Literally, in the, in the Hebrew, the Gentiles. Well, some did sing the Lord's song in captivity. People like Daniel and his friends, Esther, Nehemiah. Undoubtedly, some of them, however, also did succumb to the pressures of Babylonian society. And for others who maybe didn't give in, at least they, fa- they largely failed to call that nation to the Lord to sing his song. Perhaps they were too busy trying to keep their status off in their corner as God's people. While the Israelites asked the, the question, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Perhaps the question for us is, how shall we? How shall we? Sing the Lord's song in a strange land, in this land, at this particular time. And sure, we should sing it to sustain us, to reaffirm our faith in a God who's in control. But more than that, we sing our song as a witness to our world. We ask the question, how? Because we realize the world doesn't speak our language anymore, the world doesn't sing our songs. And that may mean we have to make some adjustments in how we sing and speak in a way that they can understand, much like missionaries 
make adjustments when they go to a foreign culture? How do we best bring Jesus before our world? Help them understand what he's done for us. How do we best point out the all-powerful and all-loving God who the world so desperately needs today? At the same time, we have to be careful how we sing the song of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot accommodate the culture to the point where the song itself becomes foreign. We cannot lose anything in the translation. We cannot play the puppet on the Babylonian stage. We cannot be untrue to our God with our song. So as a church, as Christians, we struggle with the question of verse 4. How can we, how shall we sing the song of the Lord in an increasingly strange culture? And if we're not struggling it with it, then we're not being faithful to the Lord who called us to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. In the midst of an increasingly unbelieving culture, how are we singing for the Lord? Especially in the midst of a pandemic with fear and anxiety, partisanship and political rage, how are we singing the Lord's song? Practicing the Lord's values? Are we contributing to the problems or are we part of the solution? Indeed, the world will not be the same again. Just as with 9-11, when a new reality took shape and new things entered our daily lives, the same is going to be true with this. There's going to be a new normal. How will our love for God and our neighbor shape this new world? What lessons have we learned and are we going to use to help shape our culture for God? No, this world will never be our home. But can we sing the Lord's song in this foreign land and help others to know the joy of entering God's eternal kingdom? Let's pray to God for wisdom. Father God, it's a tall task. We look at our world and we see what's happening around us and it's easy to just kind of go along in order to get along or to kind of hide in our own church building and say we'll do our own thing and let the world do its own thing or maybe even cozy up to our culture and lose the power of our gospel song in so doing. Lord, we're struggling with knowing how to do this. And so we pray for your wisdom. We pray for your help in knowing what's next for the church in this world in the midst of and post-pandemic. Help us to learn from the Israelites but help us to learn from their mistakes as well as the, the positive things. And most of all, help us turn our eyes toward you, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we may run 
continue to run the Christian race, even though perhaps the landscape has changed. Help us to do it for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond with our commitment to lift high the cross of Jesus Christ in our land. Lift high the cross. We're going to sing uh, four verses to start with. We'll actually add the last verse uh, later as our doxology. Would you stand as we sing four stanzas? <laughs>